This is how we overcome the movement now. Here we go. Reaching to the world. Arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice. Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And uh, we are at the final conversation in our series Christianity 202. We've taken a look uh, at some deeper subjects a little further on in in the Christian faith beyond the very, very basics in this series, ranging from uh, how do we read the Bible? uh, What's the mission of the church or what's our purpose? And how does my will or my choice coincide with God's will and God's choice? And today we're headed in one final direction. Where, Where are we headed, Sarah? eschatology hooray what's eschatology (laughs) it is the study of the end times we had previewed this or hinted at it last week uh, when we were asking the important questions of like does god win in the end god jesus comes back right the answer we hope is yes uh but there has been a lot a lot of ink also spent on The questions of what happens when we die and all of that can be summed up in this fancy word eschatology. So maybe as you as you kind of hinted, that points in two directions. One is at an individual level at the last things for me when when I die, what happens? And that's maybe part of the bigger question. What happens at the end of the story, like of the universe? Um, And that maybe those are somehow related questions. But maybe we should start with the one that kind of hits home for all of us. How how do Christians think about and maybe where there's some guardrails to put up about how we think and talk about what happens to us when we die? So, so this is, I feel like, such a important question, um, but there, there seems to be two answers in the Bible. Like, it's not like the Bible has like, oh, this is exactly what happens when you die. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there seems to be two different things. Um, one is that when you die, immediately your soul is in heaven and you're with God in heaven. Okay, so like the, today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus says to the thief on the cross. Exactly. Okay. So that is one scenario. The second scenario is that when you're when you die, you're dead. You never really leave your body, and that on the last day, God will resurrect all of us the same way that Jesus was resurrected. And so, like again, that there isn't like you know, our soul is with our body always. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not like your soul leaves and then comes back. It's yeah. but you're all together. Um, and that, yeah, you're, res- you're, you're resurrected with your body in God's kingdom at the end. So the, to summarize the two different ways that the scriptures answer this is sometimes the Bible talks about when you die, you're immediately in the presence of God, right? To, to die in the body is to be present with the Lord, Paul says in his letters. Yep. Or sometimes the scriptures talk about when you're dead, you're dead. And then on the last day, the resurrection comes and uh, the new creation and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and then you're with God. Like, you know, there there's always you're with God. The good news, you're with the God. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't say necessarily like when you're like in the second scenario, when it's your whole body mm-hmm. raised and resurrected. You know, it's not like, I think that that's a blink of an eye. Like, it's not like we're going to be sitting there laying in our grave going, oh, why isn't Jesus back yet? (laughs) It's very much like a, 
the next oh, thing you know. And, and mm-hmm. now I'm alive again. Yeah. And everybody who I've ever cared about is also alive with me. Um, yeah. So those seems to be like the two scenarios that the Bible has laid out. And um, I would say that if you look back at history, churches have emphasized one over the others. And that changes depending on what's happening in the world. Um, I would say at the moment, we are living in a time and in a place that seems to be emphasizing the after you die, immediately your soul is in heaven with God and you're looking down at all of your loved ones. That seems to be the predominant belief in popular American culture right now. And maybe uh, uh, in addition to what's going on in the world, it may also have to do with how our different branches of the Christian tradition have drunk deeply from either more um, Hebraic thinking or Greek thinking on that, that like uh, it's a lot closer to the way the ancient Greeks thought about us, that we had bodies and had souls and they were separate things. And sometimes in Greek philosophy, having bodies was a mistake. uh, And the, the pure thing was to be a floating disembodied soul somewhere, you know, to commune with the gods or the demiurge or the forms or something like that whereas hebrew thinking especially as you get it in the hebrew scriptures in the old testament doesn't say we have souls but we are embodied souls like soul and body are sort of all together in one package deal you can't have a soulectomy you can't like carve out a part of you that is the soul we are embodied and we are more than just material at the same time and even even the the way the the early scriptures in the the hebrew bible don't talk even so much about resurrection at all yet they're just like when you die you go to a sheol you know the realm of the dead and it's just sort of because that's what happens when you die and only later do you get this more clear emerging of a hope of resurrection uh at the last day and then finally yeah later christianity kind of sometimes talks in that language of instantly to to die is to be in the presence of god maybe this is a place to talk about boundaries or guardrails because if i am going through loss right now and i have just lost somebody who i really really care about i'm not terribly interested in hearing you tell me that my loved one is just dead i would like to just imagine they're right there with god what will you tell me preacher are you going to correct my theology at that point or tell me well hold on here actually no like i (laughs) i will fully admit that i believe more along the lines of the resurrection at the end and that it's like i don't think that there's a huge difference between soul and body like i think we are all one complete being um but if you find comfort in thinking that your loved one is now watching down from you from heaven i am definitely not going to take that away Uh from you like no because there is biblical basis for that right like jesus saying to the two thieves or to the one thief rather today you will be with me in paradise. Like Jesus said those words. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to take that away from anyone because I've never personally died. So I've not (laughs) experienced death in that regard. I've sat next to people as they die Mm -hmm. and have like been in the presence of dead bodies. And yes, there is a, a certain thing about like, a dead body is not animated. It is not that person who you knew, even though it is their body, but they're not there in the way that they were before. Mm -hmm. So like, I I can definitely get why a lot of people hold so tightly to that belief of 
oh yes, when they die, their spirit leaves and then goes to heaven and is now watching down on me. Because that also, like, I can see where that brings comfort in later when you've put the dead body in the ground or the ashes in the ground, because then in some ways you can still think they're with you because their their soul, their spirit is with you mm-hmm. um, in the same way that God is with you. And so, so I get it. I get it. It's, um, it's not where I personally am, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong. To me, this feels like another place where we are limited by our experience as beings who experience time as a straight line. And mm-hmm. that this could be perhaps solved by saying, maybe to die is to be taken outside of or to experience time beyond what we count as a linear time. So that w- at the point at which I die, I'm no longer experiencing whatever that sort of like you mentioned, sort of like imagining this is in the blink of an eye. The next thing I know, who, who knows how long it's been, but there I am in the very presence of God. And maybe we're all getting there at the same time. And it's not that I've been asleep uh, in the ground, but I am removed from linear time so that I'm, we all arrive at that point at the same, at the same time. So, so this, this conversation always brings up a lot of what ifs in my head, mm-hmm. right? So I am married to my spouse, Russ. We have young kids. Um, what if I die tomorrow, you know, in this scenario of I die tomorrow and Russ continues to live with our young kids, my hope is that he will eventually move on and, you know, the grief won't be as strong and that he'll be in a new Find someone new to be in a relationship and a new partnership with and remarry. That is that is my hope that that is that he would be able to do that because he's still fairly young. Like he has a long time that he could live without me. Um, But in the scenario where it's a snap blink of an eye, we all are resurrected together. (laughs) And then suddenly like, oh, I'm there. He's there next to me. And then on the other side of him is his new wife. (laughs) I've not had any time to process this because I felt like I just died. Here he is with his wife of 30 years. What happens? Yeah. But isn't there, didn't Jesus say something about there not being marriage in heaven? Right. Yeah. It, so. it, this, this does seem to me like, and again, this is not a part that, that a lot of Christians honestly want to talk about because it wrecks their sense of romance about we'll be mm-hmm. together forever, even after death. When, yeah, at some point when the Sadducees think they finally cooked up a scenario that disproves the resurrection and they say, what about someone who's been married seven times? Uh, and Jesus says, you dummies, when you die in the resurrection, it's not like that. And he just says, kind of ambiguously, we're like the angels, which is, uh, well, that's not really helpful. I don't really know how it works with the angels, Jesus. <laughs> but it seems to me the angels are not uh, married either, um, or that maybe just our existence is different. Um, and again, like even even your point, even without imagining the awkwardness of another spouse, like imagining that children who you last knew as children are now uh, you know grown up and adult and have ch- like even that scenario of we all arrive in the afterlife all at once mm-hmm. and there's you know generations upon generations of descendants who are all arriving at the same time and how long does it take to all wear name tags and figure out how we're all related to each other i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah because I, I think that that um parable of like the the who are we married to oh you dummy there that's not how it works marriage isn't really a thing um you, you know that's kind of heartbreaking in the sense of like you mean that my poor relationship that i have right now <laughs> is going to look radically different in god's kingdom different how yeah because mm-hmm. like 
yeah, life is sometimes really hard and I don't always get along with my spouse, but we continue to work together because that's what we've committed to doing. Mm -hmm. what, what is it going to look like? And is it going to look better than what it is? Because like right now it's pretty great. Yeah. Or I is it somehow going to be for the worst? Like, and if that core relationship is so radically different, then does that mean all of my relationships are going to be radically different? And I can't imagine how that would be better. Yeah. Even though that seems to be what Jesus is alluding to. Mm -hmm. And I, and on some hand, I, I get it because especially in the first century, when Jesus was talking about this marriage, wasn't like what it is today. Sure. Marriage wasn't something that, people often had a lot of say in it had a lot of power differentiation or liked which was not on board with so like i get it but at the same time as a married person i struggle with that question of like if marriage is or relationship for that matter is so radically different in god's kingdom after the resurrection what does that look like and it, how is it something that I can rejoice over? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you raise good points that like any talk about what life is like in that new creation, in that resurrection, in some ways has to be radically different than whatever we can imagine, um, not only because of what marriage looks like, but because so much of how our lives are, you know, are, are different from how human life has, has existed in previous centuries that someone's bound to be surprised and probably will all be surprised. But maybe even if, if whatever it looks like is without sin, I don't know how to live without sin. Like to some degree, my whole life mm -hmm. is built on a certain amount of greedy selfishness. I mean, to some degree, like our lives are built on and dependent on us being stinkers. And I don't know how to live without being a sinner. Um, and yeah, that suggests that I'm going to be a different, and somehow I'll be a new creation, which I, to me is like why the only language the Bible keeps coming back to is to talk about new creation instead of it'll be exactly like this or it'll be exactly like this. But nope, it's going to be a whole new kind of creation. Even the language the the prophets use when they talk about like the wolf lying down with the lamb and the cow grazing with the bear, like that seems unnatural, right? All the bear knows is how to eat know other animals and all a uh, uh, wolf knows is how to hunt for sheep and to say that god's new creation looks unnatural to some degree means yeah it's going to mean a radical reordering of how we exist i guess for me in my theology that also means i'm a lot less wedded to making arguments about what is or isn't natural because what i'm used to being as natural in this world is also dependent on death and the new creation doesn't seem built on death the same way um but it does mean I have no good ways of describing what it will be like, except that somehow the you-ness of you and the me-ness of me are held on to, and yet we're new creations. So maybe to stick a pin in that half of the conversation, when each of us dies, there's the possibility that it could be we all get in the new creation at once or we're instantly with God, but somehow in the end, 
we're with God. Don't worry about it. You're with God. Phew, good. Um, and that there's different ways exactly of how that works. But maybe that catches us up into the other half of this eschatology question, the big cosmic end of the story, not just the end of any one of our life stories. But how do Christians talk about what are what are ways what we answer the question, what happens, you know, like when Jesus comes again, what's that all about? Or what are the essentials or things that we don't have to get hung up on? So one way that Christians talk about Jesus's second coming is with the rapture. Mm -hmm. And I feel like without having actually looking back at all of our old series that we've definitely probably have talked about this before on this podcast. Um, and the fact that the rapture or the theology of the rapture is super new, like it's what, 150 years old, less Something than like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but the idea that we're in the end times in the sense that pretty soon Jesus is going to come back and it's going to look almost exactly like the book of Revelation depicts, like if you take it super literally. Um, and if you want a good example of what the, that would look like, just read the Left Behind series and it's going to pretty much tell you what a lot of christians today believe or we could say mm -hmm. a lot of a stripe of english and american evangelical christianity mm -hmm. because not only is yeah, the rapture it's a very very specific strain yeah. within christianity that um i would say is pretty like it's a pretty american idea mm -hmm. but that being said i think that it's starting to bleed out more into global christianity that this is um yes it's primarily american and thinking and thought and belief but um i've also kind of started to see it pop up more globally than just the u.s now and so i mean historically what we call rapture theology sort of comes out of dispensationalism that got popular sort of really codified with the schofield reference bible out of the 1800s so yeah it's a it's a relatively recent phenomenon but because as you point out it's become widespread within some american christian circles and because of the influence of living in america like that's a that's got a global impact in the rest of the world to some degree there are lots of folks who assume by default oh that's what christians believe is that there's going to come a point when jesus mm -hmm. secretly snatches away the true believers who are left and in the meantime earth falls into a terrible time of suffering and tribulation that is chronologically what is described in the book of revelation and then after that jesus comes back again in a final cosmic battle with the powers of evil possibly located in the literal battlefield of Armageddon. And then Jesus comes back again in the final triumph for a thousand years and new creation after that. That's sort of the, the in a nutshell notion of how rapture theology works. There's different quibbling about when in the midst of the terrible tribulation, Jesus comes back, whether it's at the beginning or in the middle or in the end, people will fight over that too. Um, but as a notion, most of Christianity didn't believe anything like that for the first like 1800 years um because there there just wasn't the notion of a secret rapture of jesus you know snatching away the believers but rather when jesus comes that's sort of end of story it's victory immediately that there's not like a secret taking away of the the true believers and then everything else falls apart kind of thing that's at the heart of what rapture thinking sort of is that there's a secret taking away of the true believers so they don't have to go through the terrible suffering and to me, even though this is like eschatology, 
eschatology adjacent rather than strictly eschatology. To me, it seems like the sweep of the whole story of the scriptures is never that God's people are spared having to go through suffering, but rather that God goes with us through the suffering. So it's never the Lord is my shepherd and therefore I don't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but because the Lord is my shepherd, I trust you'll go with me while I go through it. So to me, not only is the, the rapture as a theology suspect because it's a recent invention, but to me, it flies in the face of the whole story of Christianity, the whole story of the Bible of God brings us through the difficult stuff, not beams us out of it and takes us out. So we don't have to face it. But while acknowledging it is a popular view out there and also that mm, I'm at least I'm willing to go on record saying I do not subscribe to it and that the passages used to defend it are completely misreading what's going on in those passages. Maybe that's a conversation for Christianity 303. Um, but um, if that if it ain't the rapture, then what do we think about how, what are things we can or can't say about Jesus coming again? Uh, what are what are the things that Jesus maybe tipped us off about about his coming again and what to hope for and what not to hope for? I mean, the hope is that he's coming again. Okay, yeah, so like just that's just factual. Jesus okay. is coming again, and like that goes like not only as far back as the creeds which say things like and he will come again to judge the 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 living and the dead or in the old language the quick and the dead um but like that goes back to paul's writings as well right Mm -hmm. there's this clear hope of the coming of the day of jesus christ that's that's a hope but okay what so he's coming what what do we think happens then or what do we think it is is that good news and and should i do my taxes this year or can i get out of it because he'll come before and can i predict when it will happen <laughs> well, no, let's say, you cannot predict when it will happen because every prediction, and there's been what a, at least a dozen or so major ones, at least probably just happened. in our lifetimes. But yeah, I mean, like we've we've been yeah. playing that game <laughs> for two thousand like, years. You know, every prediction um that has been made, Jesus is going to come on this day of this year. We're still here. They've all been wrong. <laughs> And instead of taking that to mean, oh, I guess he's not coming, to me, it feels like the move that we should make is maybe we don't get to know when, right? Yeah. Where do Christians maybe get that idea from that we shouldn't guess when Jesus is coming back? Maybe Jesus Jesus. told us that we wouldn't know. (laughs) Jesus told us that when he was alive here on earth, he didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, and I know I've told you two this before, but I feel like as soon as somebody predicts a day, God is going to decide, well, nope, not, not going to do that. it that day now. <laughs> I was, so, but now that you predicted it, nope, not happening. Yeah. So maybe we should just stop predicting because maybe that's, um, I don't want to say stopping God from Jesus again, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> Uh, so one, it sounds like one thing that at least the three of us seem reasonably clear on, I think grounded in the teaching of Jesus, is that we don't get to predict or know when his coming mm-hmm. again is going to happen. And that's not meant to be like, you can kind of get close or predict kind of the general time, but not the specific. Nope, we shouldn't even be guessing at all, right? The The first generation of Christians who wrote things like Paul's letters and even wrote down the Gospels probably imagine it was going to happen in their lifetime and it didn't. And so instead of saying, I guess Jesus isn't coming back at all, we have to live in this posture of it could be any time and it could be in our lifetimes or it could be, we will see our great, 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 great grandchildren will get old. And uh, before Jesus comes again, we got to be able to live in the tension Mm -hmm. of not knowing. 
So can we make Jesus come quicker? Ah, fair question. And how would we go about doing that if we wanted Jesus to come quicker? Because I, like Jesus seems to be dragging his feet for <laughs> 2,000 years. I think th- th- this might sound at first like we're just making up silly questions, but honestly, the the this is the kind of thing that every so often sloppy pop theology mm-hmm. talks like human agency either can put off Armageddon, sometimes you'll get that in pop movies, uh, or that uh, if we do what we're supposed to, we can hasten Jesus coming. Um, and depending on whether you see Jesus coming again as good or bad, you might want to delay it or make it come faster. Um, there have been plenty of movies out there that are like, well, if, if uh, the heroes get their act together, they can stop God from bringing the end of the world. Isn't that like the premise of um, Good Omens, too, that um, Terry Pratchett, yeah. Neil Gaiman, like it's about stopping the end of the world from happening. Uh, and then you'll also find from time to time voices that are like, no, we need to take certain actions to make Jesus come back. And sometimes it's like geopolitical stuff. Like sometimes you'll see in um, Hal Lindsey's 20th century classic, classic in quotes, the late great planet Earth. Like there was a whole timeline involved when national Israel becomes a state again after, you know, World War II. Um, that sort of sets the clock running again. And then when other things, the alliances of Russia and Iran, that will all set these mm-hmm. things into motion. Um, and then depending on whether you did or didn't want Jesus to come back sooner, you would advocate for a particular set of geopolitical uh, priorities or, or policy initiatives. Uh, and sometimes in the era in which we live, the language is, if Christians, particularly a particular stripe of Christian, get power, get political power, and they uh, put themselves in charge, they can set the table so that Jesus can come and usher in his coming again. So that's the language that is still out there. And so it's a, it's a serious concern. I, I think you've helpfully raised like, no, there's nothing we can do to make it come earlier or to delay it. So I guess I I push even further, not just we can't, but that it's dangerous to allow the notion that you can hasten Jesus coming or delay it by um, a certain set of policy uh, initiatives or something like that. If we think that it's up to us to either make the world peaceful enough or uh, cause the right uh, geopolitical conditions to happen and that will bring Jesus to come. To me, that that sort of treats God like God is required to follow a script that is of our discerning rather than God's free to do what God chooses. So then is it wrong to pray for Jesus to come back quickly? I would say no, because I think that's completely different than what Steve is talking about of like trying to influence when God will do it, but asking (laughs) God to come quicker I think is perfectly fine. And I think we do it like, at least in the Lutheran liturgy, like during communion, like we'll often say, come Jesus, come, Mm -hmm. or, you know, trying to invoke, like, come, like, come join, like, come back. Yeah. Um, And I had one professor, which (laughs) I think you had this professor as well, Steve, who said that when you say that in communion, you should mean it. And you should mean it to the point of like, maybe you should look and see if Jesus is here. And I always thought that was so corny because you do communion every week, or at least we're encouraged (laughs) to. So like every week, are you going to really like fully expect that when you say, come Jesus, come and look and see, oh, well, did Jesus join us this time? Because it's like, do I really think that like, I have the voice of like that God, Jesus is going to listen to right this second when 
all of these other pastors are praying the exact same thing and that right. he's going to choose my church to come to like um, <laughs> right to me like there there's a difference in what erica asked between like if uh, when I'm wrapping up like a meeting at one of the churches on a weeknight evening or something, I'll often call back to the house, either call my wife's cell phone or call and say like, Hey, I'm on my way home. Do you need me to get anything at the grocery store? That kind of thing. And sometimes in the background, my kids, you can tell that I'm calling, I'll hear their voice in the background. Dad, are you coming home yet? That kind of thing. And like, I think there's a difference between dad, mm -hmm. hurry home because I want to show you something or I need to, I need your help with something. And them saying, I'm going to light the kitchen on fire to make you come home faster because if there's an emergency, <laughs> yeah. it will make you like that to me feels like there's an important difference between I will destroy something to make you speed up your timeline and I'm asking I would like you to come home sooner but if there's like if I have to tell them sorry I have to stop at the grocery store because we're out of milk that okay they can understand that's for the collective good of the family we need milk so I'll be delayed an additional 10 minutes but there will be milk when I come um I, I, I guess I think that's the important difference and so mm -hmm. Like, like you say, Sarah, I think it's absolutely inbounds to be people who pray, come Lord Jesus, um, but not with, uh, okay, and what, what can I do to make it happen? Um, and similarly, I guess I think we aren't, we aren't encouraged to treat our faith like the escape hatch of, there's a thing I don't want to deal with, Jesus, please come so I don't have to deal with it. I think it's more, like sometimes in our weakness, we kind of feel like, boy, it'd be nice if I didn't have to go through such and such, please, Jesus, come so I don't have to. But like ultimately a mature faith isn't, I don't want to have to deal with having this uncomfortable conversation. Jesus, could you please come back so I don't have to have the uncomfortable conversation? Or I don't want to have to do the dishes. Please, Jesus, come back so I don't have to. Do. Like, to me, that feels, again, like it's building the cosmic agenda around my convenience. And I don't think Christianity teaches us to be that narcissistic. Oh, and I asked the question because in recent years, and I learned a, a phrase in seminary, Maranatha, means come, Lord Jesus, come. Yeah. Um, that is, that's my response to tragedy anymore hurricanes school shooting grocery store shooting what you know war in ukraine like okay jesus can can we, can we be done with the violence and the mm -hmm. heartache and and so maybe maybe it's a little selfish um it's not selfish as in i don't want to do dishes i don't want to go to the <laughs> selfish, but like it's a sense of like god haven't we been through enough yeah. like haven't we it seen enough and I think that's completely fair, yeah. right? Because like the world is hurting so yeah. much right now, like climate change, COVID still, um, pol politics, mm -hmm. um, war, famine, drought, like all of all these of things are happening all at once. And it's not to say that these things haven't happened before, but we're also hyper aware of everything mm -hmm. right now. Like mm -hmm. we have the ability to know what is happening in real time in Ukraine. That wouldn't have been the case a hundred years ago, right? Yeah. There would have been that time delay. Um, and so I think we're all, we're all just so tired. And so, yeah, I think it's perfectly within reasonable bounds that Christians pray now would be a great time to come back mm -hmm. jesus like you know you've promised all of these things at the end of the book of revelation you know revelation 21 still my favorite <laughs> chapter in the whole bible um you know that if god wanted to come down and make god's home among god's peoples right now 
and wipe away all of our tears and make it so that suffering, death, and pain are no more because God is doing a new thing. But mm-hmm. well, hallelujah, do yeah. it. Like, yeah. yes, please. Um, cause yeah, I don't fully know what all that would look like. I don't fully know what it would be to live without sin. I don't know what my relationships would, would look like in this God's kingdom here on earth, but yes, fully ready. <laughs> like let's yeah. end the suffering. Let's a- end the pain and the war and disease. Like, mm-hmm. yes, let's end all of that. And, and so I guess this, in some ways, this to me feels like a helpful way to tie back in our conversation earlier about the mission or purpose of the church as that sort of like, okay, while we are people who pray in our worship life and individualize, come Lord Jesus, we are also people who, okay, until we're given other directions or until he comes, what are the things we're called to do to embody glimpses of what that final reign looks mm-hmm. like in our words and actions and to be agents of relief or care or compassion uh until it comes in its fullness so i mean like i i guess this is one of those like tension things that like if all we ever do is say jesus never coming back it's up to us to fix everything that's going to feel overwhelming and we're not going to do a very good job on the other hand if it's always nothing can be done until jesus comes therefore the world just let it all go to hell in the meantime like those are the extremes Mm -hmm. and the mean in in the middle is there is this place of we hope for god's final ultimate new creation when all things are put right and in the meantime in a world where suffering and violence and war happens i don't just get to say well i'm gonna wish real hard that jesus would come but what what kinds of things am i hoping would be different and how can i be about that work now even if it in only in part or even if only uh, is a, is a glimpse of uh, what we are hoping for. So to me, like our our hope for what the new creation is like echoes back to how we embody our mission as well. You know, like that what the church is about is how do we relieve suffering until that time when Jesus comes and all things are put new. In the meantime, we're left fixing things as they break. <laughs> Are there any other things that we think are definite we need to say or not say about um, our Christian hope about the end of all things and the the end of the story? I, I think, again, we might not know exactly what it looks like either when we die or in the end days, like, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, mm-hmm. but I think that we can hold on to the promise that until then God is walking with us and that God mm-hmm. is with us mm-hmm. and God loves us. And that no matter what happens either immediately after our own individual deaths or what happens in the end days, God's love for us is still going to be there. To me, that feels very, very much like that famous line of Julian of Norwich's, um uh and all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be made well and to me like that that very much and carries over from our conversation last time about a confidence that at the last god wins and and while i can't spell out all the details of what that looks like there's a confidence that whatever it is i'm going to trust that god knows what god is doing and that all will be made well and that when we get there it might feel scary how how am I going to function in relationships if it's not like the marriage and family I'm used to? Okay, but I'm going to trust. God has figured this one out. And even if I can't see what it will be like, I trust it will be good and all will be well. Um, 
And that gives me both the confidence to sort of let go of what's not in my power, but also that, okay, in the meantime, we keep at the work until we get to that point. Well, maybe speaking of last things, we reached the end of this series uh, on Christianity 202, and we hope that uh, you'll join us next week for new conversations as we explore other areas of life, faith, and everything else along the way here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. This is